0: Psalm 94, if you look there with me this morning, Psalm 94, I don't know how every preacher does it, but uh, I can tell you that 90% of the time, if not more, what I preach to you is something the Lord gave me, and uh, generally, uh, I don't know why it is, the Lord likes to give me something on Thursday for Sunday, and I'll think on it and chew on it a little bit, and uh, this is some of the reading that I had on Thursday, but I tell you, it helped me. And it did something for me. And uh, the more I thought on it, the more I realized why it was helping me so that I could bring it and share it with you. I believe the Lord wants to help you this morning. Let me just tell you up front, I'm going to preach on the answer for our trouble today. Anybody in here got any trouble? Just any kind of trouble? I mean, just five of us. All right, everybody else is doing good. But uh, the five of us definitely need some help this morning. The rest of you can be praying but all God's people got trouble, all people in general have trouble, but I'm glad there's answer for our trouble this morning, and it's found in this psalm, it's found throughout the Bible, but we have some answers right here. Look at me, verse number 1, I'm going to read the first three verses, and then I'm going to skip down to a text that I want to highlight this morning. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself, lift up thyself. Thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, look down with me at verse number 16. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? And then I like the answer that comes to his heart. Boy, this is a good answer when it comes to your heart and mine. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slippeth thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. And boy, verse 19 is sweet. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. What a great text this morning. And I'm glad that in the midst of all the trouble, there's one who can comfort us. There is one who is the answer this morning. We can thank God this morning. There's three things that we know right up front. And we'll look at a little more of this psalm. But this psalm teaches us three things. It tells us that God is the avenger of his people. And I want you to know this morning that there is one who is looking out for you, there is one who has your back, and it might not look like in the moment things are turning out for the best, but I promise you that when it's all said and done, God will make it right, it'll be good, it'll be perfect uh, in the will of God. And then I'll tell you a second thing we know right up front, God sees the oppression of this world. There is nothing that is being brought against us. There is nothing that is being brought against our culture, against our children, against anything that God is not aware of. He sees the oppression of the world. We'll notice that in the verses this morning. And the third thing I'll tell you up front is is that God will bless and help those who seek Him. You can be assured of that this day. If you will seek after the Lord in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of the problems, God will bless you and He will help you. And there's never been a problem too big to overshadow the goodness of God. And I rejoice in that today. Psalm 37 is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And it says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. And in verse 39 and 40, at the end of that psalm, it says, But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. I'm going to tell you something. News flash this morning. God blesses your faith. Now, I'm going to tell you, God's going to be good whether you realize it or not. God's blessing you whether you acknowledge it or not. But I'm going to tell you, God will heap the blessings on folks uh, that will trust in Him and rely on Him and look for Him and depend on Him. God responds to your faith this morning. In a world of unfairness where we often get mistreated and we often get judged and abused, we want to take matters into our own hands, our own frail and failing hands. Is it all right if I remind you and me this morning that these hands are weak and at their very best they are extremely limited and there's only so much I can accomplish with my frail and failing hands but I'm glad I'm in the hand of one who never fails. Amen. Amen. But sometimes we want to take matters into our own hands when we have an avenger. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 verse 19 Dearly beloved avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. Let it go, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I'm glad that the God of the Old Testament is still the God in the New Testament. Amen? And we may live in an age of grace, and the long-suffering of God is evident in our time. And we say, Why does God allow stuff to go on? And why doesn't God do this and do that? Hey, God will judge this world. But I'm glad for the long-suffering of God we enjoy. We can trust in God to avenge us. Sometimes we're like the, the boy who his dad came home and found him and his two brothers in a, I mean a knock-down, drag-out, duking-it-out fight. And uh, the dad asked, it was, it was uh, 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 Bob and Butch and Billy, and the dad asked the middle son, Butch, who tended to be the aggressive one of the bunch, he said, Butch, how did this happen? And Butch said, well, Dad, it all started when Bob hit me back. You know? The truth is, the truth is, a lot of our trouble starts that way, doesn't it? Because we take matters into our own hands and try to fix it and solve it ourselves instead of letting God take care of it for us. The largest movie franchise in history. Most of you would know right off. I mean, some of you, you don't care. Most of us may not care, but... I've got a point I want to make. The largest movie franchise in history is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The bottom line is, is it's all these movies tied into the Avengers and Captain America and all that. Out of these, now granted there's been like 20 of these things in the last decade, but they have earned a combined $15 billion through these movies. Do you think that's pretty influential in our society? I would say it is. And that supply and demand thing, you know why they keep making them? Because people keep flocking to them. People keep paying the money to see them. You know, second place in the, the movie uh, world, the movie franchise that comes in second, that's a surprise. And it's, some of you old timers are going to get, uh, old timers, um, some of you not as young timers, you're going to get offended. Second place is the Star Wars franchise. Now, some of y'all came up watching Star Wars, and you say, well, ain't nobody better than Star Wars. Well, let's not have a church split over it. The entire Star Wars franchise has earned a combined nine, about $9 billion. Just a little over half of what the Marvel has earned in just ten years. If you look at the top ten franchises, I'm going somewhere, almost half of them are superhero franchises. And the rest of them are all hero-focused action-adventure movies where some hero rises up and defies the odds and uh, wins the day. Why is that? I believe that it's true that we all like a good story and we love adventure and heroes saving the day and that's probably always been popular. I mean, who doesn't like John Wayne riding in pistols in both hands and reins in his teeth, you know? I mean, everybody loves a good story. But there's something to the psychology of our modern culture that I believe that you could draw a connection. I believe people are looking for rescue. I believe our society, I believe people as a whole in this modern age are looking for an escape, a way to get out of, what's odd, a world they've created for themselves. Let me, let me tell you about this, this age of disappointing dependence. We hear terms these days like PTSD, and I know it's been around for a long time, but it seems like everybody's got it now. Depression. And I know depression is real, and I know people battle heavy with that, and it's a real oppression that can come against a person's mind and their spirit. It is a real thing, I understand that, but everybody's depressed now, you know? disappointments, discouragements, doubts, and fears, all of it is so real in our society today. Everybody's upset. Everybody's hunkering down and trying to survive to the end, the apocalypse. There was an article that came out this week that, that drew a link between the rise of mental health, health disorders in teenagers, basically those born since 1995. And they connect that with a lack of sleep and an increase in the use of social media. How many of you would say this morning, it ain't just the teenagers having this problem? How many of you would say this morning, but not too loud, there's some folks that said in church that can't even disconnect from social media? Oh, I've been told before, I won't name names. I don't mean like who's doing it. I mean, I've been told from the nursery before. In the evening services, when it's not as well lit in the church, looks like a concert sometimes. And as funny as that is, it's also a serious problem. We live in a world we've created that is not real. Social interactions not real. And people are struggling and depressed and discouraged, and they're full of fear and anger and hatred is abounding. Is there not a place in the Bible that talks about a society that becomes like this? And Paul says that in the end, now on the one hand, I suppose it should be encouraging for the believer, but it's a little discouraging to think that the church has such a prominent role in it, so much so that we can't even disconnect long enough to worship God. 28 million Americans using illicit drugs, and that includes the use of, The improper use of prescription medication. Do you think this old world's in trouble today? Oh, yeah. Who are they going to turn to? And what about us? Well, I'm glad Psalm 94 has some answer for our trouble. There's a lot that's not known about this Psalm, who the human writer was and what era it was written in, and who the specific enemies of Israel are that, that he's talking about. There's a lot that's not known, but I want to show you just a couple of things that are definitely known as we read this psalm this morning. I want to say, first of all, it is a psalm of calling. In verse 1 and 2, O Lord God, O God to whom vengeance belongeth, lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. You see in this psalm that it is an example that the writer gives to us. It is someone who sees and experiences trouble around them, but they begin with prayer. His response in the midst of the trouble, he starts out by calling on God. Now I'm going to tell you this morning whether the trouble you're in, you had no fault in it, or whether it's something you helped bring upon yourself, no matter what the trouble is, the answer is still you begin by calling on God. This is a psalm of calling, and our answer to trouble begins with our prayer. Prayer life. Oh my, we could preach a long time on that, and I'm going to tell you I'm an expert on the subject. I'm an expert on the subject of knowing how much I need to learn about praying. And I know we all need to learn. But I suppose there's no better way than to get alone somewhere before God and just pray. And just talk to the Lord and just share with Him the birth. I'm going to tell you, the old songwriter said, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. It's still true today just as it was then. And he's calling upon the Lord. He's calling out to God. You think about those superhero movies and those superhero. Th- hey, Lois Lane, all she had to do was scream, and Superman was there. Commissioner Gordon just had to turn on the bat signal, and here come Batman. Well, I'm going to tell you, thank God we don't have somebody in tights and a cape that comes our way. But the moment our heart turns toward heaven, we have a God over glory who responds to our need and hears our cry. And He can be there quicker than a speeding bullet. Amen? God is there. He's a Father who hears the cry of His child. He's a Savior who responds to the suffering of His people. He's a Comforter who offers healing to the wounds of the believer. But you'll notice the context of this psalm as the writer begins with his prayer. It's not a call for comfort. It's not a cry for mercy, though that will come in a moment. But as he begins, he calls for vengeance. He says, God, the Lord, the God of vengeance, help us. Vengeance. The act of avenging. Taking up the cause of another's defense, another's trouble. And... uh If I may offer this phraseology, he's basically saying, Lord, I'm calling on you to avenge your people. Take up our case. Deal out justice to these oppressors who deserve it so. What oppressors? You know, historically, we can, as I said, pinpoint who it was at the time that he's talking about. But in application, friends, you can answer that question, and I can answer that question in our own life because we know We know that there are things that are oppressing us, things that are coming against us, things that are bringing trouble into our life. Who are the oppressors in your life? What is it that assaults you and plagues you and threatens you? And I would tell you this morning, we need not look any further than the three great oppressors of all time, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These three, all three of them being full of lust and lies that will bring trouble into your life. And will try to ruin your walk of faith and destroy your confidence in God. You think about the world this morning. The world is the external philosophies and the priorities of a system built on power and achievement and an order of things that are opposed to the truth of God. The world has a look that it's trying to sell, right? Right? The world tells us what success is and and what being right is and you have to fit this and check these boxes and have this look. The world is trying to sell us a look. But we're told in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of of life is not of the Father but is of the world. So the world is an oppressor in our life to try to convince you that you have to be like it. That you have to act like it. Follow its precedence. Follow its pattern. The world is selling a look. What about the flesh? Boy, the flesh is an oppressor, isn't it? The flesh is that internal enemy already given and predisposed to sin and wickedness. That's my flesh, your flesh, everybody's flesh. That part of us which is drawn to forbidden sensual pleasures. The flesh has a lust that it is pursuing. And yet we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, Flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with all them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In fact, we're told in the Bible to flee fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18. We're told to flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 14. We're told to flee the love of money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. The answer to your flesh is to run, 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 run. Flee those things that will tempt us and draw us out of the will of God and have no part with it. The best way to defeat the flesh is to run from the temptations. We have a world that's trying to sell a certain look. We have a flesh that is pursuing certain lust. Then you have the devil. The devil is that infernal assailant behind pride and deceit and scandal of this world and behind the temptations and the traps and the trickeries of the soul of man. The devil has a lie that he is telling. You don't have to go further than back in Genesis chapter number 3 to find that the devil launched his assault with a lie to Eve that said that you can be more than God has said you could be. God is denying you. God is cheating you. You know what? The world doesn't care about your religion. The world doesn't care if you express faith so long as you follow their program. You can succeed anywhere in this world and call yourself a Christian or at least say I'm a believer in God. God. Do you know what the devil tries to do? He assaults your faith directly. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to believe that God is distant and doesn't care. He's not foolish enough to tell you there is no God. Oh, there are a lot of people that will tell you that. The devil just tries to get you to believe that God doesn't care about you, that he doesn't care about the situation that you're going through. There's a lie that he's telling today in your life. James chapter 4 and verse 7 tells us, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see the difference in these things. We're to run from temptation, our flesh. uh, We can't fool around with that stuff. But when it comes to the devil, don't run. You can't outrun him. You'll never outrun the devil. You turn, and as they sang about this morning, uh, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the cross, you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He ain't afraid of me, but I'll tell you what He's afraid of. He's afraid of the power of the risen Savior. <laughs> he's afraid of the blood uh, that washed my sin away uh, and gave me new life uh, and purchased my redemption uh, and sealed His doom. This morning we have authority over the devil himself. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, need to give place to the devil. we got to stop giving place to the devil in our life giving place to the devil in our home, giving place to the devil in our church, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our automobiles, uh, in our vacations, uh, wherever it may be that the devil tries to get a foothold and a stronghold in your life, you say no! And you deny him that place. There's no doubt we're surrounded by trouble. We're sheep in the midst of wolves. The world wants to, you to conform the flesh wants you to covet. The devil wants you to cower. This is the way of our oppressors. And I tell you this morning, I'm glad I have an avenger. It's not only a psalm of calling, but it's a psalm of confusion. You know, when you read verses 3 through 11, you, you see the things that we think sometimes, the things we don't understand. Lord, how long? Verse 4, How long? <laughs> How long, Lord, is this going to go on? These oppressors, these heathen, these people that seem to be getting the upper hand and they're doing wrong, the writer, he's saying something we all agree with that there's a lot about life right now that I don't understand. This morning, sitting in this room, these pews are filled with people who would have to say, There's a lot about life right now I don't understand. You know what? You're in good company. That's the way it is in the walk of faith. There are things we will not understand. Abraham didn't have all the answers when he left Ur. Moses didn't have all the answers when he went back into Egypt. But we walk by faith, not by sight. It's a psalm of confusion. Now God's not the author of confusion, but we deal with that in our soul. He's confused about why the wicked triumph. Verse three and four. How long? How long? It reminds me of Psalm seventy-three. Asaph wrote a psalm, and he's, he describes. He says, "For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there were no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride can pass with them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. You've seen them on TV, haven't you?" The celebrity crowd. They're always beaming. You know, they look like they ain't got a problem in the world. Like they got everything. They got people opening the door for them. People driving them everywhere. People giving them stuff. People writing them fat checks. They're writing fat checks. They're living life large on the outside. But how many? And I won't say all of them. I'm not going to say all of them. There's good people everywhere, saved people everywhere, but there's fewer in some places than they might try to make us think. But they look that way on the outside, and Asaph said, I'm looking at this, and man, it looks like they got all that heart could wish. I don't understand. I want to offer you something this morning. We hear this all the time. The rich keep getting richer. We look at these celebrities, and we think, man, they got it made. Cool jobs, cool cars, money, fame. We hear of those with privilege. Man, they go to the best schools, the nicest neighborhoods. They got the biggest 401K. Some of us can't even spell 401K. We start wishing we had all that stuff. That is worldly mindedness. Make a note of that. It is worldly mindedness. To desire and long after those things, friend, that God has not given you. If God gives it to you, and sometimes God gives it to people. If God blesses you materially, I promise you two things about it. If it's God's blessing, it'll be a good thing. And if it's God's blessing, you're supposed to use it to help and take care of others. Those are two things I can tell you for sure. But if God hasn't given to you, stop wanting it. Stop looking at it like, I'll never be, I'll never have, I'll never measure up. Who are you trying to measure up to? Comparing ourselves among ourselves. We're not wise. How much more to compare ourselves with the world? How unwise of us when we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is our example, who we are to model our lives after. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. There's a freedom to have in your heart chained to Christ. And this world not holding you down, holding you back. Maybe we wonder about the next thing. He's wondering, well, why do the faithful suffer? Verse 5 and 6, they break in pieces thy people, O Lord. They afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow, the stranger, and murder the fatherless. Why do the faithful suffer? The great preachers that you know of and you could announce that got stricken with cancer, taken out of this world, seemed like so, so soon, so early. The godly mother who's taken with Alzheimer's, loses her ability to communicate, remember. The faithful Christian who's cut from his job the Christian teenager who's badgered, belittled, and beat down because she won't conform. The child who is abused. The elderly saint who is taken advantage of by scam artists. Lord, why? Why do these things happen? I don't understand why the faithful suffer. Why, oh Lord? We may not know the answer, but praise God, it's not only a psalm of confusion. It is first and foremost a psalm of calling, Remember? It is something that we can pray. I may not know, but my God knows. I may not understand, but the Lord of glory understands it all. I may not be able to stop it, but thank God for the one to whom vengeance belongeth. He will set the record straight. He says, why? I don't understand why the faithful suffer. And then, I don't understand why the faithless are so ignorant. (laughs) Oh, man, you could preach a series on this stuff. Verses 7 through 11 I mean, you just walk down the line and and just to highlight it. He said, I don't understand the ignorance. They're they're ignorant of God's existence. Verse 7, they say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard. It blows your mind how this world can be ignorant of God's existence and of God's involvement. I sat out last night and watched the moon. Couldn't see the stars. They probably came out later, but I did see the moon. And I sat there and thought. I was thinking, some guys went there. Walked on that thing. Well, that's a long way away. And I was thinking how far that is. And yet, it's like this to God. Because He holds the whole universe in His hands. One galaxy among a million in, in, in just our solar system. Uh, it, it's unimaginable what how big God is. They're ignorant of God's They're ignorant of God's sovereignty. Verses 8 and 9. Uh, understand, ye brutish among the people, you foolish. When will you be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? Do they think they're going to get away with this? It's a good reminder, isn't it? We start watching them and we say, boy, they, they got it made. They, everything's working out for them. Don't forget. There's a God who's watching. He knows what's going on behind the scenes. It's amazing, isn't it? I, this, this hypocritical... Uh, world of celebrity and entertainment they're eating one another alive now they make their fortunes off of sex and immorality indecency and then consume one another when one of them's cult what hypocrisy and they think that god does not see the ignorant they're ignorant of god's judgment verses 10 and 11 he that chastiseth the heathen shall not he correct. He that teacheth man knowledge shall not he know. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. The day of reckoning is coming. It is important for us to remember that. Yet there are some things he doesn't know, but there are some things that he does know. And we close with this one. This is a psalm of calling. We must make this a matter of prayer Every day of our lives, calling on God for help, calling on God for understanding, calling on God for answers in our trouble. But he acknowledges some things he don't understand. And I think it will always be that way. There's things we just won't understand. But look at how he closes this. The whole second half of this psalm, we see it as a psalm of confidence. Verse 12, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. There are some reasonings and reassurances given through this last portion of the psalm, but for the sake of time and purpose, I want to zero back in on those verses we read at the beginning, verses 16 and 19. See, God's going to fix this old world. God's going to make things right. Verse 16 talks about the heart's cry. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? I got it, preacher. I understand I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to trust God. I'm I'm supposed to believe. I'm supposed to live in faith. I got it, preacher. But who's going to rise up for me? Who's going to stand up for me against all this nonsense? I don't understand. The heart's cry. I got it. I know. I live there too. Boy, I love preaching. Because when you're preaching, you've already been given the answer to share. It's like teachers. How many teachers have we got in here today? Oh, well, I'm not going to say what I said. I was going to say then. I started to say, you know, teachers, they got the answers on their book. It's easy to preach the message when you're just delivering an answer, but I know what it's like. I know what it's like to sit there in between preaching times and say, Lord, I don't understand this. How could this be? Those questions come. But then you see the Holy One's comfort. Verses 17 through 19. The help of God that keeps my hope stirred. Look at verse 17. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. We look at this old corrupt and out of balance world and we think like Asaph back in Psalm 73. Remember that Psalm? He said, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, left to our own understanding and the exposure to the world's cruelty, we might, as the old expression goes, lose heart. Be ready to give up, give in, throw in the towel. But Asaph went on to say in that psalm in verses 12-18, to Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until... Oh, what a sweet word that is. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. (laughs) I'm going to tell you there's one place to go to when you don't understand. You say, preacher, I've been there. I've prayed about it. Well, go back and pray again. How long should I pray, preacher? How long should I read God's Word, preacher? Until the answer comes. He said, until I went into the sanctuary. Then understood I their end. The rest of the story. The behind the scenes look. It all looks good out here. But oh, the troubled heart. (laughs) See, I got troubles too. I got troubles, you got troubles, all God's children got troubles. And all the world's got trouble. The difference between me and them is I got somebody who has the answers. <laughs> and he ain't told me all the answers yet. But you know what I'm learning by and by and more and more is that He's the only answer I need. And if I don't understand all the problems, I don't understand all the questions, and I don't have all the answers, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and I can trust in Him above all. Psalm 42 verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I want you to know, child of God, there's help and hope in the Lord this morning. There's help in God's promises, help in God's people. There's help in God's plan. Then you see not only the help of the Lord, but you see the mercy of God in verse 18. The mercy of God that keeps my steps strong. When I said my foot slippeth thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. Times of weakness. That's what he's referring to. You got any of those in your life? Yeah, it ain't everybody else's fault, is it? I got a lot of problems of all my own. And in times of weakness, maybe in the battle with the old world, the old flesh or the old devil, our foot slipping, our resolve waning a little bit. You know, you get to that place where part of you just wants to give in. Just go ahead and own it. Let the tempter have his way. Why do the heathen get to have all the fun? Why can't I do it? Why can't I go there? Why can't I have that? What profit is it to serve God when it feels like I just get beat up for it all the time? Yeah. That might be the worldly look and the fleshly lust and the devil's lies all coming at you at the same time. And you'll listen to them. They'll swirl around in there. Hmm. Those classic scenes when the protagonists in those movies that we've referred to earlier, they're about to give up. They're hanging from the ledge. Uh, they're going to fall to a sure and certain death. Strength is failing. It's almost gone. Fear's conquered. The heart hope is lost. And then just in the nick of time, the hero swoops in and rescues them. Uh, uh, Isaiah forty-one ten: fear thou not, for I am with thee you don't have to wait for god to get there you don't have to wait for him to show up in your trouble he's with you his name's emmanuel god with us be not dismayed for i am thy god i will strengthen thee yea i will help thee yea i will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness where could i go but to the lord jerry sang it the other night lord i can't even walk without you holding my hand Sometimes I've been walking with my children. You've all had that experience. I wish I could remember when my daddy did it for me. I can't remember back that far. But when they're little, I had it with all of them. But Benjamin now, and when they're little, and they're just you know they're just traipsing along and they ain't paying attention to nothing. And you know, if you're on uneven ground and it's a little treacherous, you keep a hand on them. They get in a place where they don't always want to hold your hand anymore. I tried to get Josiah to hold my hand when we came in church this morning. You wouldn't do it. But you're holding on to them. you got your hand on their shoulder. And sure enough, sure as the world, their foot drags a rock. And they start to go down. And you grab them. What a picture. How many times has the Father in heaven done that in your life? <laughs> Woo! Foot slipping, about to go down. But there's an unseen hand. It's all grace (laughs) and mercy. Oh, the mercy of God that keeps my steps strong. Good hand of God on our life. And then verse 19, and we are done. In the multitude of thy thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Not only do I have the help of God and the mercy of God, but here you see the peace of God. And notice, it's the peace of God that keeps my heart alive. And I like that. You know, I'm not a dead man walking ever since I got born again, amen? But you know, there's some believers today that you'd almost think they are. You say, what in the world? They ain't got, they, ain't, they never smile, they're never happy, they never seem to... Get in on the praise and the worship. They never seem to enjoy being at church. They're just there. And I know people are different. And you can't always see how people are when they're by themselves. And we all know the sweetest times with the Lord are when it's just you and Him. But I tell you, there ought to be something that keeps our heart alive. A passion for living. You look at it, and it's like this life and trouble and issues have a way of swarming on us like gnats in the summertime. We all know about those. It's coming. Let's go out and eat on the porch. Yeah, let's do that. Why y'all want to eat on the porch? You know. Thank you, Lord, for this food. You know. But that's how he describes it. The multitude of thy thoughts, of my thoughts within me, they're just swarming around. And we get so bogged down with those heavy thoughts of why is this happening and and what did I do wrong and how are we going to get through this and whose fault is this in the first place? And we're reminded in this psalm that when the thoughts get too thick and too heavy, we have a place to turn. Psalm 61 and verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So whether they be sinful thoughts, vain thoughts, sorrowful thoughts, deceitful thoughts, our hope and our help is to turn to the Lord. There is a promise of delight in the midst of it all. I experienced that just the other morning. In fact, this is what captured my heart to prepare to preach this message. I was sitting in my, my devotion place the other morning reading this passage. And a lot of thoughts swirling in my mind. And I read verse 19. And you know what I did? I just stopped and I began to thank God for the comforts. And you know what happened to all those thoughts? It's better than raid. (laughs) It's better than, what do you call them, candles? Citronellas, better than that. Some things don't work. I'll tell you how those things will work. Buy you a citronella candle, bust the jar, get the candle out of the glass, rub it all over your skin. And then I think it works. He promises peace. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We try to fix our hope and our help and things that were oppressing us to begin with. Remember where we started? It's a world of trouble we sometimes create for ourselves. We turn to the world hoping to find answers. I get a better job. I get some recognition. I get more education. Go on Facebook. See what they're saying. We turn to the flesh hoping to find answers. If I work harder, if I impress others, I can mask my trouble with pleasure. Or we turn... To the devil, maybe not consciously, but we turn to him hoping to find answers. Those lies of humanism. You know, just please yourself, do what feels good to you. God's kind of distant, not seems to be listening anyway. Just take care of things yourself. Christians, we get in trouble when we take care of things ourselves. We got a God in heaven who loves us, wants to help us. The invitation this morning is. As the old song says, Hear the blessed Savior calling thee oppressed. O ye heavy laden, come to me and rest. Come no longer tarried, I your load will bear. Bring me every burden, bring me every care.